Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog to Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ. Look, I've run out of podcast intros to steal, Corey, so I'm just I'm stealing them from films now. Um, hey, the, that, the, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite films. Did hang me, did hang me. Want to get her open? Hang me. <laughs> you want to know what the weather's like? Look out the window. <laughs> so it's good. hot and shitty today with continued hot and shitty in the forecast for tomorrow. <laughs> it's such a great movie, too, because it disarms you because... You don't know where it's going. No, it, it, it takes a dark, big left like, turn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it gets really. You think you're watching a funny Robin Williams comedy, and then oh yeah, not so much. Yeah, it's very much uh, two different films kind of mashed together. Have you done that one on the uh, Backtracks uh, theme music show that you also co-host, Corey? We have not, but I tell yeah. you, there is a plethora of great songs on that soundtrack. Nowhere to run uh, jumps out immediately. Right, we should do that one. Well, and what's the CCR track on there? Um, Fortunate Son is in that, I'm pretty sure, where they're in the helicopters. It's, yeah, there's yeah, tons to might, choose from. You might save that one for Forrest Gump, I don't know. Ah, yeah, See, yeah. the problem is, is that some of these songs are in so many great movies, you got to pick and choose. It's a good problem to have. It is, it really is. <laughs> and we have some movies that have more than one great song, so we are just talking about when we do uh, Old School, uh, the, the comedy with Will Ferrell. Well, we got to do Dust in the Wind by Kansas, but we also got to do the Dan Band. Because the Dan band is fucking phenomenal. They're the wedding band from from that movie and from The Hangover and from Starsky and Hutch. And, and they play uh, like usual, uh, usually it's like a female uh, pop hits and they put their very, uh, you know, sexy Dan band spin on it. Like Total Eclipse of the Heart, where they add an F word every, every three words. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I gotta, I gotta, com- I gotta make a confession to you though, because I know that the latest episode of Backtrack's theme music is The Hangover, right? Yes. I just don't like that movie, Corey. Well, I, I, I can totally understand is, why. Just... Yeah. A lot of comedies are very much an acquired taste, and if that's not your sense of humor, your sensibilities, I totally get it. Todd Phillips movies in general, I, I think, are like that. So I, yeah. I, I can see why The Hangover would be a miss for you. Anyway, look, we're not talking about movies. We're not talking about movies on this podcast, um, although we have just spent like two, two, at least two minutes talking about them. But this is the ultimate catalogue clash, folks, where myself and Corey uh, take on the discography of one artist per season to attempt to find out which is the best album in the catalogue, according to us. Uh, we'll rate one side of each record in an episode and rank the songs on three criteria, music, lyrics, and production. At the end of that episode, we'll then have a score out of 25 each to award. Um, and when we're done both sides of the record, we'll have four lots of 20 out of 25, so if my math is right, Corey, that makes us gives us a total score out of 100. That is correct. And if you remember uh, side A of uh, this week's uh, album, Abacab, uh, was pretty good. Uh, I, my grades were 7.5 uh, for music, 7 for lyrics, and 3 for production. So a pretty solid side A. Uh, for me, it was a, a, a tale of uh, two songs almost. And that Abacab and No Reply at All I thought were very strong. And me and Sarah Jane and Keep It Dark, uh, not so much. So I'm anxious to get talking about side B because side B is kind of similar for me. Yeah, and uh, side B starts out with some, uh, brings the heat right out the gate. What are we listening to first, Corey? We are listening to Dodo Lurker, played 180 times in Genesis' live career. Let's check it out. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I get Drumwood listen to this this song, Corey. I'm, I'm just going to say that right up front. <laughs> it is a fantastic start to a song, isn't it? Like, a, uh, imagine you just listen to to, to keep it dark, which uh, I thought was kind of a miss. And you flip it over, and you're kind of lamenting the fact that you just wasted a few minutes on Keep It Dark. And then this kicks in. You're like, all right, I, I'm back on board. Dude, I love Keep It Dark. You know I love Keep It Dark. Come on. what I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the internet will – I think the internet has something to say about that one. But And we're going to talk at the end of this one, too, about uh, sequencing. Because I think we did that on Duke. Mm-hmm. We talked about um, sequencing a little bit. And I've got some issues with sequencing on this album, and we'll talk about those at the end. But did you, I mean, in your research and sort of looking around, did you find out, I'm assuming you did, that Dodo Lurker was part of a, a bigger suite originally? And the yeah. people call it the Dodo Suite, and you can go find that online. People sort of sequenced it and, you know, mash things together a little bit. So you had Nami Nanu, which is how you pronounce it, I think, and then Submarine, either end of Dodo Lurker. Now, I think the punch that you get, just coming straight in, because obviously Nami Nanu is an instrumental and you would lose a little bit of um, a bit of that punch to open uh, the side two of an album if you didn't go straight into Dodo Lurker. So that's why I suspect one of the reasons maybe it was taken off the front. So, And uh, are those uh, other two uh, parts of the suite available? Because I just uh, read a quote from Tony saying, you know, we had four songs, uh, these two, and then two that didn't work, so we shelved them. I don't know if they were, I didn't know if they were actually ever released or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you a link. Okay, perfect. That, that would be interesting to kind of see how they all fit together. Yeah, it's about 15 and a half minutes um, well, as, as a whole, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank God not the first part is just 15 minutes. You never know what this is. Oh, no, no. <laughs> man, I was listening to, um, you know a band called Marillion? Have you ever heard of Marillion, Corey? I think we no, talked I about it. So that's my, my picture disc you can see, you can mm-hmm. see behind me here. Um, they're kinda, they were like basically the sort of the spiritual successors to Genesis's prog stuff, and they came through sort of early to mid-80s. And they, they, but they kind of they dropped their lead singer in a very similar fashion to Pete Gabriel leaving Fish Left, um, and they put out an album that a friend of mine, uh, a listener, I think he listens to my Queen podcast and maybe one of yours, Ian Winnick, who loves the album Marbles by Marillion, and that's a fourteen-minute song. To st- and that starts an album too, and it's like, whoa, that's a bit. I like a long song, but as you've said quite a few times, it needs to go somewhere. That's right. So question for you on this, again, I was listening to this, you know, because we listen to these, you know, a little bit more critically. Um, I wonder if this section is sung in a different key and then slowed down. Because it, there's a really sort of, there's a quality to Phil's voice, which isn't natural. So that's either an effect that's been put on, but I don't know what effect it would be. Or it could be that they've sung it like a half step up and, you know, five, ten beats per minute faster and then slowed it down just to give it that real kind of weird... It's not menace exactly, but it's got a weird quality. You know what I mean, right? Oh, 100%. It actually it sounds very much like it's slowed down because I, yeah. I work with timelines and different speeds and stuff with audio. And it, j- just the way words are phrased sounds like it, it's definitely been artificially slowed down. So, But it gives I it a cool feel. I absolutely agree with that. It, it, it Kind of weird, though. I mean, when you have that, that big, big, you know, opening to a song uh, about uh, an extinct bird, I'm assuming. And then <laughs> uh, you, you go to this really weird uh, Bob Marley wannabe uh, reggae portion. And, and really, because uh, I, I always rag on, on Tony lyrics, right? Uh, this is really stupid. Son, he give life in his light. 
part of the system. Friend to man, friend to the trees, no friend to the snowman. Yeah. Like, pff, uh-huh. What's wrong with that? <laughs> what's on. wrong with that? Come on. <laughs> My God. It's like he's trying to be funny, but he doesn't have a funny bone in his body. Oh, no, I don't like these lyrics. <laughs> you know, just, just leave the humor to Phil. Phil is genuinely a very, uh, you know, a charismatic uh, individual. He's very funny. He can do comedy. Uh, I, I don't think uh, comedy is really uh, Tony Banks' milieu. Well, maybe not. Oh, you're throwing the big words out again, are we? All right, then. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that is, so the opening verse, yeah, too big to fly, Dodo ugly, so Dodo must die. Dog go with fear on its side, can't you? So it, yeah, it's that sort of, it's almost like an animal welfare, animal rights type environmental song, right? Which is kind of well, cool, because that's a little fits, bit ahead yeah. of its time, right? So Yep. Too big to fly, Dodo ugly, so Dodo must die. Yeah, like it, uh, I, I was actually uh, uh, quite uh, uh, quite high uh, on the lyrics, except for that one little uh, section, just because that I one think, line. you know. Yeah, because it makes me think of Frozen. Anything that makes me think of Frozen, I want to kill. <laughs> well, I know what album I'm picking next, then. <laughs> oh, yeah, bugger. So first of all, I love that reverse wave synth sound. I like that little bit that leads in. And then, man, Mike Rutherford's playing his ass off in this section. Even though it's kind of slowed down, it's got that loose, loosey-goosey, sloppy groove. The bass is killing it. The guitar line that he's playing underneath is super, super cool. Because obviously, you know, the verse section, that synth-led, and that's one of the things I like about this song, it trades off. And this, this, well, you know, I don't know if there is a verse chorus in this song. That's the other thing about it. It's just kind of one, one piece with different parts. But I like that it switches between the synth lean and then to, uh, Mike's guitar leading this part melodically. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I didn't really like uh, was uh, kind of Phil, uh, the vocal on this. We talked about that, that kind of slowed down effect in, in the reverb gate, whatever the hell he's got on there. Um, very, you know, if I'm mixing audio, I'm trying to fix that. I'm not trying to accentuate it like a, it, it sounds like an audio engineer mistake almost. I know it's intentional, but uh, to my ears, uh, j- just didn't quite, quite hit right. So I, I didn't mind the reggae section at all. I think they pull off reggae pretty good. Uh, it was just uh, the, the effect on Phil's vocal that really kind of turned me off a bit. Uh, it's okay to be wrong, Corey. That's okay to be I wrong, know. Mate. I'm wrong 100 <laughs> times a day. But I'm not wrong on this. We paused it right on my next timestamp, 244. We're coming out of the reggae oh, section. My God. This, this transition back in for 245 and then it kicks in like at 255 is when the the real big push comes that's one of my favorite transitions in any piece of music it's just unreal that steady ascending chord progression to build you back into that lick my god it's good I, I really dug that too, and and the imagery. Uh, there's a lot of sea imagery in here too, but even just the uh, yeah uh, the horror movie vibe because that's what you get kind of from that that melody and from those synths is a real horror movie vibe. It was really cool. Yeah, that big push into you can. It's like you know, someone's walking up the stairs and you know that there's something behind the door and they don't. That sort of that sense of dread and foreboding. It 
builds it perfectly, and it's so, man, it's so epic. It, build it is the big word. I think I talked, we're talking about movies again, but the, the Conjuring film series, I talked about how it builds horror correctly uh, right. in a film. The, this song is kind of uh, following that template here too, uh, and, and really uh, going very, very effectively here. Um, I, I was hoping it was more horror movie than uh, Pirates of the Caribbean with Davy Jones, but I did enjoy that movie too, actually. <laughs> so, so there we got that vocal I don't like, and Pimp yeah. can make you drool and grunt. He got an answer. All right. <laughs> I mean, I always go to my pimp for an answer, so that makes sense. <laughs> he drools and grumps at you. Yeah, that's right. When he One got week. a dream of love deep as the ocean. There we go back to the ocean. Again, I mean, it's, you know, we've talked, we've talked about this ad nauseum, and I, I think we're probably going to talk about it a few more times in the catalog, but Banks wrote a lot of his songs in very abstract imagery, right? You know, it, it's very sort of loose, big sort of big brush strokes, so you can fill in a lot of the blanks yourself. Um, but it's just it's mood and it's theme and it's vibe and it's feel to me. So it, it absolutely is, and this is a, a rare example of a Tony song that does this and works for me. I, I think it does sound cool. Um, again, I, I come more more from the David Lee Roth uh, lyric camp where he does stuff like that for sex imagery. Uh, Tony yeah. is a little more uh, high class uh, the, than Mr. Roth, but I, I thought it worked uh, very effective. Uh, one thing I also thought too is um, when you're talking about uh, Genesis's prog roots. Uh, th this is almost kind of like last kick of the can for proggy Genesis. There, there's a couple of examples on this record. I thought yeah. me and Sarah Jane uh, had some stuff, but to me, Dodo Lurker, if I was like a, an old school Peter Gabriel fan and I'm listening to Abacab, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, this isn't my band. Is Dodo Lurker the song that makes you think, all right, they're, they're back. I, I get, I'm back on board. Yeah, it, it is. It definitely is. And, you know, me and Sarah Jane, I think as well, I'd said could be off Wind and Wuthering, and then there were three mm -hmm. of Scott. A lot of stuff similar to that, and I think that, I mean, Dodo Lurker, a little bit less so. If it was in the full suite, like I said, when you listen to the full suite, then it's like, oh yeah, that definitely is, it's full prog, like it's, it's part of a, a, a bigger piece. Um, so I think you'd be, you know, be like, this is exciting, Side 2's kicked off. Well, I mean, we're going to come back down with a fucking gigantic thump on the next song, but we've got to keep finish, listening to this song and talking about this one. So th this song really gave me big domino vibes. Okay, you know, yeah. the, the different sections melding together well. Uh, lyrically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it just sounds cool. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. If you're telling me a story that makes no sense, that's a little different. The fact that it's just abstract imagery, 100%, I I'm totally on board. But it definitely uh, gave me a very strong domino vibe, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, and a, and a forward vibe, right? Obviously, because that's two albums in the future, but... It's like I said, we've, we've commented on a couple of songs in the catalog so far where the transitions are a little bit jarring. They don't always necessarily work seamlessly. This one, I mean, you couldn't, you just can't do it any better than this.
So it's cool because it's got all this little synth percussion in there. There's bells and whistles, and you know, there's like this just weird noises coming in, in the background. And I love that that bass is do that just on the eighth notes or sixteenth, maybe even a do 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 do. It's just sitting right on that root note, nice and low. I think it's being doubled by a synth bass as well. Um, it just adds again. It's just that mood piece, and then you get this really huge left hand turn. Like, what the fuck's going on now? What's this thing sitting in the mud? What is this thing <laughs> with two eyes sitting in the mud? And then something spoken. This is what it said to me. Clothes of brass and hair of brown seldom need to breathe. What, well, Katie? I don't know if you read about this. So, I mean, we'll get into this now. So, clothes of brass and hair of brown seldom need to breathe, don't need no wings to fly, and a heart of stone and a fear of fire and water. Who am I? So, it's a riddle. Is it a riddle? Yeah. Right. But it's very, um, like, you think about, you know, Lewis Carroll or Edward Lear. It's a nonsense. Because it's like, you know, why is a raven like a right? Why is a raven like a writing desk in Alice in Wonderland? There's no answer to it. It's just a bit of nonsense. So I love that he's thrown that into sort of, because, you know, I mean, prog fans are geeks. There would have been people pulling their hair out. And it wasn't until, like, I think early 2000s or something where someone asked him specifically, well, what is the riddle in Lurker? He's like, oh, no, it doesn't mean anything. I just made it up. (laughs) (laughs) You bastard. That's great. Tony just went up uh, in my books for that one there. I thought that was pretty cool. (laughs) A little bit of mischief. Yeah. Okay, those synth sections, I don't know if I'm in love with them like you are, Yeah, uh, but they're, they're okay. Well, I mean, listen to what Phil's doing too, though, right? And it's the same thing with the main drum lick that he's playing. He's putting this little drum roll in. Um, the, it's subtle, and you don't necessarily hear it unless you're really listening for it. It's a bit more pronounced here but, than in the main riff, but again, it's just it's, it's that sort of those little bits and pieces that the top tier guys can put in just to keep things interesting. Because it's a really simple beat, right? I mean, it's really, it's just pretty straight backbeat four on the floor. It's nothing complicated. Mm-hmm. But Phil's putting those little things in just to change it up. And again, his hat work on this song, the hat lifts and, and the little triplets that he's playing on the hats all over this thing is just phenomenal. Absolutely. Did you have any more on this one, Kev? Well, just 706. It's a really cool sort of, I don't know if it's, I don't think they are actually tubular bells, but they sound like tubular bells or it's a synth, um, a synthesized tubular bell. But because I was looking on the album sleeve and the only credits on the album are Phil Collins' drums and vocals. Tony Banks keyboards, Mark Rutherford guitars and basses. So there's apparently nothing else on there, but it really does sound like a real tubular bell to me. If you listen to this, so seven or six okay. is that gonna those chimes coming in. Yeah. yeah. So, so I don't know what it is. If it's Tony faking it, that's a really cool tubular bell sound from, you know, early 80s. I don't think it is. I, but. You know, first time listening through it, I didn't even pick that up. That was a good catch there, Kev. Uh, overall, uh, what were your thoughts on Dodo Lurker? Well, i got to tell you a little story first about this song, Corey. All right. So when I got, I think it was when I first got an iPhone or when, when Siri first came out. And I didn't know that you could change the settings and have it like, you know, there's an English Siri and a, an American Siri and a, you know, 
So I fucking, fucking no chance Siri understands anything I say. Some of the bullshit that it's come back with is just infuriating. So I'm sitting at home one day and I say, hey, Siri, play Dodo Lurker by Genesis. Siri, in the middle of, like, you know, a bunch of people says, sorry, I can't find Dildo Liquor by Genesis. <laughs> what the fuck? That's not even a fucking thing. It should be, though. Oh, see, hang on. It's... <laughs> Siri just, just it off again. Up. It actually played it, though. There you it go. did, yeah. It found it that time. <laughs> oh, man, if we ever start a, a Genesis tribute band, we're calling it Dildo Liquor. Dildo Liquor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I want to see a logo by the end of the week, Mr. Brown, so we can put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> okay yeah i mean this is i mean I, I i i bet you can probably guess where i'm going with this um and it's 10 10 and 5 because it's just one of my it's one of my favorite genesis songs it's one of my favorite songs of all time everything about this song i mean the drum part in this is just is off the chart cool and i can't play it like it's super super hard because there's a lot more going on than you think it's like you know um smells like a teen spirit sounds dead simple because it's just but he's doing he's doing a hat in between notes which is really hard to get the timing on. The stuff on this that, he, that Phil Collins is doing on this song too that is just, I, I just can't, I, I just can't play it. Um, yeah, the interplay between the synths and the and the guitars, I said, and the, the alternating between the verse and the second part. Um, I love that fake brass synth in the lurker section. I just think it sounds super cool. Lyrics, like you said, caretaker, horror movie, only one eye, only needs one boot. Sweet lady, she knows she looks good. Vacuum coming for the bright and the brute. Like, I, fuck, I don't know what that means. But it sounds really cool. Um, Production-wise, yeah, I, there's not a change I would make in this. It's crystal clear. It's bombastic. It's got this huge wall of sound, yet you can still hear every single note. Just absolutely fantastic. So 10, 10, and 5 for me. I know you're going to be lower. Uh, not by much, though. I'm actually 8, 8, and 4. Really dug the music. Awesome. Uh, the sections there uh, lost me just a little bit. That's why I had to kind of dock in a mark there. Not that they were bad. It just kind of took me out of it a little bit. It wasn't my most favorite thing. Uh, okay. Lyrics, I, I thought sounded really cool. I love the horror movie uh, imagery. I love the seafaring imagery. Uh, I thought he did a really great job of that. And four, uh, the only knock is, hey, at 7.32, can maybe cut a minute out. But uh, for me, it, it didn't feel long, like overly long yeah. or anything. And I thought it was mixed really well. Uh, like I said, the that vocal effect on Phil uh, during the, the couple of sections there, I wasn't a huge, huge fan of. I think right. I docked at half a point for that. But otherwise, uh, eight, eight, and four. Pretty big fan of Dodo Lurker. Awesome, man. And that is going to be a real juxtaposition to our next song. Uh, it's a little ditty called Who Done It? Jesus Christ. Do we have to listen to a lot of this, Corey? <laughs> I was going to play the whole thing. It's only three minutes and 25 seconds. Thankfully. Jesus <laughs> Christ. You know what's unreal about this track, though, too? I don't know how much you read about this one, but... So the, the band improvised on this theme for 30 minutes. So it came from Tony Banks just pissing around with a Prophet 5 synthesizer, you know, and you just mess around with all the, the sounds and you press different notes, and it's got this rhythmic quality to it. And when you start fucking around with the envelope settings and, the you know, the reverb settings, all that kind of stuff... So he's just messing around with it, and he would do that for, like, ages. And he, he said in an interview that I figured, you know, or the rest of the band probably figured, well, the only way we're going to get him to shut up and stop doing this is to actually record this fucking thing. Which, again, I mean, just give me a break. This was played live. How many times was this played live, Corey? I mean, 100 146. 146. That's just staggering. I mean, and Mike Rutherford played, Rutherford played drums with um, Chester Thompson on this track, because there's no fucking guitar in it. No. Uh, my Phil Collins said, and I quote, we did our own punk track, which was fantastic. We really liked it. Him and Tony Banks loved this song. 
it's well, it's, it's t- Tony's quote is even better. <laughs> he says it's a daft track, but it certainly characterizes the spontaneity spontaneity of the sessions. Phil wrote an idiotic lyric to it. I thought it was great. <laughs> they both love it. Those two love it. Now it's conspicuous that Mike Rutherford's never gone on record as saying he loves it. So. No, I haven't, uh, I'm trying to look here. I haven't found a single Mike uh, quote uh, on this one. Oh, and then uh, the democracy of the band was there was the matter of deciding whether the song with the working title of Weird Synth, which was this song, should make the album. <laughs> and, and and somehow they, they, they had enough votes uh, well, to, to uh, get this one on here. The president of Atlantic Records, Ahmet Erdogan, wanted it included. They actually, <laughs> Do you know they actually genuinely, seriously considered releasing this as a single? I know. I mean, talk about uh, Jesus Christ. It's the, it's, again, it's that thing of, you know, we've on my other my Queen podcast. We've talked about Queen in the eighties. You think, you know, if the, the people who've got the daggers out and the, and their crosshairs set on Queen, you're not helping yourself by releasing tracks like The Invisible Man. Like that's just you're playing into their hands doing that, right? It's the same with this yeah. with Genesis. Like you, you're really just sort of giving the critics something. It's just it's so easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, you know. Well, and the fans. Uh, here's a quote from Tony. We used to get booed when we played it. We played Leiden in Holland, and we got booed. So we went back there. We played it there again. Because that's what you want to do to your audience, right? Fuck you. We're playing this in spite of what you want. And again, I mean, it comes between Dodo Lurker and Man on the Corner. <laughs> I know, I mean, right? T- like, the sequence is so it is. bizarre. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Tony Banks again. It became a focus whenever we played it on stage. The crowd would boo, and I found the whole thing very funny. The band wore silly hats. I'd put on a little snorkel and play a Prophet 5 keyboard, especially tuned just for that one song. So out of the eight keyboards he has on his rig, yeah. one is especially tuned for this one. It was supposed to be a joke, but I think it also has a certain charm that I like a lot. It's You know, that's the one positive that I'll sort of I'll try and throw in here that you, I kind of admire their balls for doing it, in a way. In a and that's sort of, I like quite like that sort of because it is that that is a bit of a punk attitude. Is well, fuck you, we like it, so we're playing it, you know. But it's still, I mean, right. dear I, God. I, I, we are doing a bit of a disservice to here. We should play it through through to the chorus, so the folks who haven't listened to Abacab uh, will will fully understand the wretchedness that is who done it. <laughs> So just so you, you folks you know, Ke- bastard. Kevin has been trying to stop the song for about 40 <laughs> seconds, and I was just shaking my head. Nope, we're playing it through. Oh, my God. It's, I it's mean, painful. It's just, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a paper cut just under your fingernail. It's irritating. You can't scratch yeah. it. It's just, it just really, oh, my God. It's, I mean, it gets worse. That's the thing. It gets more annoying. Like, it's, you know, I, I don't know what time signature. What time stamp are we at right now? Let me look. We're at uh, 55 seconds. Yeah, so you flick, we just like run through to about 59. It's, it's like Phil and Tony were having a contest to see who could make the song the most annoying it could be. <laughs> and who won? Well, I know who oh, lost, God, all I... of us listening to it. <laughs> all right, here, here's 59 seconds. We love, we love, we love. 
If you know, then shut the fuck up. Yeah, say it once. I mean, even a song, there is a thing, such thing as too much repetition. Again, I mean, if you if you sort of you know if aliens come down to earth and they want to sit with someone and talk about music and culture, if you played them Dodo Lurker and then this song, and told them that it was the same band, they just pack their bags and fuck off. Yeah. Can you imagine someone trying to teach like AI, uh, write me a Genesis song and learn from these two examples, Dodo Lurker and Who Done It? <laughs> what the fuck would that thing come up with? Terminator Two. Exactly. The end of the world. The end of the world. I mean, you've got a two. Um, let's again. Let's do it some justice. Go to two thirty-four because we we get a chord change. We get a key change, Corey. Oh my god! I don't even remember the key change. This is going to be exciting. I don't even know if I finished this song can, the first time through. I'll can be you stand with Yeah, it was about this time I was having my seizure, and so I don't remember this part. <laughs> it sounds like what I imagine a stroke feels like. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The musical equivalent the musical equivalent of a stroke. There you go. But that, Kevin I mean, Brown's a review of that, that key change is the one small thing in this song that doesn't make me want to kill. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, I don't know if you've ever watched it. It only makes seen, me want to maim. Have you ever seen Blackadder? You know the, the TV show? Blackadder? Oh, yeah, I, I know Blackadder. Yeah. Okay, so in the second uh, second season... There's a bit where he, he goes to see the wise woman about this this malady he has, and she says he's got three choices. So the three choices we have here are to kill Tony Banks, which we can't do because he gave us so much. Kill yourself, you know, I don't. That's not a, a great option for me. Or kill everybody in the whole world. That's the last option. That's <laughs> Hobson's choice. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, let's just get this over with. Okay. I mean, what's your, what? I mean, have you rated anything on this song more than a fucking one? It's one, one, one. One, uh, one, across one. the board, yeah, because I, I couldn't, in good conscience, give it zeros because technically it's a song. Uh, <laughs> there's there is music, there is lyrics, and it was produced competently. So one, yeah. one, and one. Okay, well, I've gone one for music, and I've written down three words: irritating, uninspired, repetitive. Yep. Um, lyrics zero. Fuck the lyrics. Absolute complete and gibberish. Sung in this weird, horrible, horrendous, affected style. And X or Z, you're English. We don't say Z, we say Z. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and production, I mean, okay, the production, I don't think you can fault it too much because it sounds good sonically. Like you said, it's mixed well. It's, you know, you can hear everything. But the fact that anyone let them record this, that's a production nightmare. Yeah, so the I'm fact it exists. The good fact point. it exists. So yeah, I'm going I'm to go two. I had it down as two point five, but I've just I've literally just taken a half mark off as I've heard myself say these words. So, so two one zero and two for me on this song, Corey. Maybe the worst song in their catalog. Like I haven't heard a lot of the Peter Gabriel stuff, oh, but I mean, from from Trick of the Tail on, like the stuff I'm familiar with, uh, I think this is easily the worst song they've done. It's I mean, there's no no ifs ands or buts about it, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, you know why? You know why I gave it a one for production because it was short. <laughs> otherwise it had zero yeah yeah you get a mark because it's mercifully <laughs> short was my only comment oh, good lord it's not half an hour for fuck fuck oh, lord. that that that's the song they play in hell they the uh if you ever watched uh, i know there's a uk series called uh ghosts and uh they uh, readapted it for uh american audiences on cbs and uh i uh in hell uh, one of the ghosts said, in hell, they, they just play. I think it's a kid rock song just on a loop over and over again. Oh, no, no, I, I think it's actually this. 
uh, on a loop over and over I, again. That, I mean, that, if you wanted to put me in hell, yeah, put me in a room with this on a constant loop, and I think I'd just I'd tell you everything. I'd give you all the state secrets. No problem. Just make it stop. <laughs> all right. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Our next track uh, is a Phil song. Uh, remember, uh, each band member was given uh, one, one like uh, kind of solo song they could put forth onto the album, and this is Phil's contribution. It's a song called Man on the Corner. So I'm just thinking, you know, this is a new album. They've kind of started to lose people a little bit with, you know, maybe No Reply at All with the horns and the, the Genesis is really taking a different direction. Flip it over, very much encouraged by Dodo Lurker, completely traumatized by Who Done It. Then coming out of Who Done It and then you get this, it sounds nothing like Genesis. So I wonder yep. if that kind of, because I don't think this song, when they release it as a, as a single, and it hit, I think, 40 in the UK and 41 in the US. And they did play it a lot. They played it 150 times is what I kind of find between 81 and 84. But I wonder if that, again, that sequencing decision harms this song a little bit where if you're a hardcore Genesis fan and you want Dance on a Volcano or Los Endos and you've just had to fucking sit through three and a half minutes of that shite, and it's like, well, what's this now? What's this bloody, you know, where's Phil Collins? What's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I thought I'd accidentally popped in both sides. Uh, it, it sounded very much uh, uh, fr- from that record, which is just all Phil doing everything. And and you could almost say the same thing about this track. I don't think uh, Tony or Mike make any sort of remarkable contribution to this song at all. It sounds like it could have came uh, from both sides. And again, uh, this is uh, Phil's kind of first foray into uh, homelessness and, and kind of a message song, which, of course, would be uh, quite prevalent in his solo career with songs like Another Day in Paradise. When it's also, it's always, I've always thought of this one, it, it's Phil's take on The Fool on the Hill. It's that, the person who sort of is other and is over there, and then we're sort of looking at that and observing it without empathy. You know what I mean? Like it's got it's got that sort of tonal quality to the, the lyrics of it. Yeah, I like it when the synth, when the synth comes in though, because I don't know if you saw that interview and uh, Mike was was talking about because the one's hard to find in this song. You don't know where the one is. Yeah. So he's, he's, that's that's the one where he's like Tony Banks is looking at him on live on stage. He's like, what the fuck is the one? I don't I don't know when I'm supposed to come in. You know? <laughs> cue me, cue me. You're not doing anything. Just tell me when. <laughs> So again, even with the the synths, uh, this just it it's a Phil solo song, isn't it? Um, yes and no. I would say my personal opinion on this, and you know, being the big Genesis nerd, Phil would never play that that initial sort of chord progression that he's playing on that very sort of mellow, warm synth tone. That's Phil Collins. The synth lead part that that comes in, then Phil would never play something like that. Right, and it's mirroring the melody. It's the vocal melody that he's playing. Um, when it comes in, it's sort of you know it's, it's sitting there both playing. But so I don't. I think it's it's a Phil Collins song that's been Genesisified properly, which not all of them were. Okay, to me. Uh, when was your uh, next time stamp here? 
Um, 108. So we've got, again, you know, it comes in and it goes actually into the chorus verse. It, you know, it's the chorus verse and then the verse. But there is, um, in the first verse, when he sings, there's no hiding place, it's where the chord change comes in. And it's that drop to that minor chord, which is very, very cool because it actually comes after where you think it's, it's, it's behind the counter, which is super cool. So usually you would think that that change would be on the hiding place, but it's hiding and then they change on place, which I just think is very, very cool. And again, it's that thing of it's messing around with where's the one, what's the structure of this song, how do you count this? You know, because it is just 4-4, four, four, but it's just they're moving the, they're moving the sort of the, the trigger points around, I think, really, really effectively. Lots and lots and lots of stuff to dissect in this. And it's where the song really comes alive, right? So first of all, you've got synth hand claps that come in on that second part, which is super weird that they're using synth hand claps rather than real It's either that or they're just monumentally compressed and flattened with that weird gate thing. Um, then you've got that really spacey metallic synth that Tony starts to play. Um, and when the drums come in, and it's just a single note, but when the drums come in, they're not over the top. And then also you get Phil putting that harmony into this section, which he then carries through into the sort of the, the chorus outro. Really, really cool. That's a, I think that's like really, really, really strong production. I thought so too. Again, it brought me right back to both sides, specifically that the title track, both sides even, uh, yeah. with, with, with the way that the drums came in there, which uh, not my favorite uh, Phil solo record or solo song, but I still like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I certainly really dug that section of this song here as well. Well, we should, I mean, at some point we will talk about, I'm sure we'll end up doing Phil Collins' solo discography at some point. But, oh, I'd love to, because uh, No album, Jacket both, is a perfect record. Oh, I mean, both, but seriously, yep. it's fucking amazing. Um, I really like Into the Light. Really cool. Anyways, but that song, you know, or sorry, that album, uh, Both Sides, is so interesting because there's no real instruments on that song at all. It's all synth, which is, you know, I mean, it, it suffers for it now when you listen to it. You think, yeah, it definitely sounds dated, and there's some stuff where, why didn't you just play drums, or why didn't you get a guitar in? But just in terms of a sort of a piece of work and, and, and an idea and an ambition to try and see if you can do it, it's really impressive. Because there's stuff in there that does sound like guitar, and there's stuff in there that, you know, does sound like different instruments, and it's just synthesized. So from that standpoint, I think it's really cool and, and really inventive. But. Hey, you just can almost miss it, though. Wind it back a wee bit. Wind it back one or two seconds, because then you'll, you'll kind of get the lead into it. Maybe go to like 240 yeah. or something. Crazy cool, eh? It was cool, yeah. I wish there was more of it. That was yeah. kind of my only issue. It's such an electronic song. I wanted a little more band interaction. 
That's why musically, I'm probably a little more down on this one than than normally I would be. But okay, uh, whenever Mike Mike uh, you know does something cool on the bass, I'm I'm all there for it. He's a great bass player. He really is. And again, he's one of those players who knows when to do it and when to back off, when to put something in like that, and when to just sit on the root, just sit in the pocket. Just a very good musician all around. And that's probably the nicest thing you could say to him about his work in Genesis is that he adds those little accents perfectly and when they're needed, but never over the top. Yeah. He's he's not like uh, Steven Tyler uh, screaming uh, over <laughs> top of a Joe Perry guitar solo just so to remind people he's still there, right? He's only going to do something if it services the song and in, in that section. And he's that, that that's kind of his uh, his role in the band, right? If 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 Tony Banks is is fire and uh, Phil Collins is ice, he's in the middle. He's lukewarm water. <laughs> Oh, poor Mike. <laughs> he's not the good guy or the bad guy. He's just, yeah, it's just Mike. <laughs> he feels like a caged animal when he's on stage. I'm just going to keep busting out Spinal Tap references all night because it's my favorite movie. <laughs> Anything else? Just 334, there's really, like, I like the chorus with the vocals, and then you get that sort of, when it gets into that lead out, you get, it's just weird. The only word I could come up with is scribbly for the way the synth sounds. It's a very odd, it doesn't, I mean, you know, it, it could have played a piano in there. He could have played an actual synth solo but he, he, he kind of does this weird scratchy scribbly jumpy weird thing that does work it's just odd it's just really odd you know what else is odd is using the word scribbly is that a word what the fuck do you mean by scribbly well, scribble like, like scribble you know when you scribble when you just sort of when you scribble some on a piece of paper you know oh my god is this not a canadian word must be surely scribble well scribble is but scribbly, oh, right, okay. yeah. so scribbly is it's, you know if you scribble is a verb and scribbly is the adjective so i don't know I got nothing. <laughs> oh, man, was that ever scribbly? <laughs> See? <laughs> I knew it worked. I got you now. I got you now. Yep, I'm with you. <laughs> Good Lord. All right, was there anything else from Man on the Corner? No. No, there isn't. Well, and this right, is one well, of those... And I'll, I'll, let me go first, Corey, because yeah. this is a weird one for me because... And we've talked a little bit about this a couple times. Um, this is one that I've gone seven for music, six for lyrics, four for production. I'll get into that in a second about why. But I still so a seven, six, and four. But it's an eight. It's an eight point five song for me because there's something about this song where there's nothing amazing musically about it. There's nothing amazing lyrically about it. But when you get it all together and put it all together with the production choices that they made, it really, really works for me. So musical, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly simple. It's as, as, as simple as you're going to get in a Genesis song. Um, I've always loved that synth drum sound. And again, you know, we, we talked um, about Fading Lights on, a, on side one. Um, and it plays the entire way through. So it's looped the entire way through the song. Um, the bass guitar is great when it comes in. It's tight and it's tidy. No guitars at all on this one. But again, I don't know where a guitar would fit on this, really, unless it was an acoustic strumming or something. But I don't know if it would fit. Lyrics, like I said, I think it's the Fool on the Hill. Um, they're a bit thin, sure. I mean, they're not sort of, you know, they don't stand out. But the lonely man there on the corner, what he's waiting for, I don't know. That's that's a good line, and it's sort of that's what the whole song's anchored around. So the verses almost don't matter. Now, I think that production-wise, I think this one probably could have faded out quicker earlier. I think it could have faded out right at that switch to when because they sing the chorus three times, and then it fades out through basically the chord progression to to fade. I think they could have faded it out in ten, fifteen seconds after that last vocal uh, chorus finishes um and then you know at 350 i think the song will be a little bit tighter but it's my only real quibble with this song so all right well i'm not that far off uh, musically uh, i went a six 
uh, a little too repetitive, uh, I think, a little yeah. too electronic. I would like uh, some more. Uh, you mentioned acoustic guitar. I think it might have actually fit on this song uh, kind of nice. Doesn't have to do anything spectacular. Don't yeah. want a big ripping guitar solo or anything. Just little accents, right? When that bass came in, that was a nice little accent. It's a little too repetitive for my taste. Uh, lyrically, I gave it an eight, actually. I, I really kind of dug the nice. lyrics here. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, Phil was telling a comparing story. Uh, the, there was some some great uh, little lines like, uh, uh, are we uh, just like all the rest? We're looking too hard for something he's got or moving too fast to rest. But like a monkey on your back, you need it. But do you uh, love it enough to leave it? You know, I, I thought that was a pretty nice refrain. So I gave it an eight for lyrics. I love it, yeah. And then uh, production, I gave it a three. And I kind of had the exact same comment you did. You probably could have faded it out around the 350 mark instead of yeah. it going on uh, for uh, 428. But uh, still a pretty good score for me. I was six, eight, and three. But it's quite, and it, you know, it's what is it? What's the, is it 430, this song? It's about 430, right? Yep, 428. Yep. 428. And you think there's at least, because the intro is what, 30 some seconds. And there's nothing going on in the intro at all. It's just that synth, that synth drum loop. And then those very, very simple chords with the melody sort of synths coming in. So you think about this being released as a single. I mean, these days, you'd never get this on radio. There's no fucking yeah. way anyone will play this because it takes too long to get to the, to get to, to the first words, right? You know, which again, I mean, I, I think is a, a crying shame in, in popular music that people don't have intros anymore. But you just, you would never get, this would never get radio play now. Yeah, I think it's a crying shame we have the radio edit to begin with for a lot of songs, right? Like Absolutely. how many classic songs were, were butchered down to play on the radio, like, you know, Money for Nothing. How many different edits of there are that song? Yeah. Well, I'm like, Fat Bottom Girls is the one that chaps my fucking ass the most because what they cut out was only about, I don't know, like 10 seconds maybe or 12 seconds or something of Brian's guitar. But without it, the intro sort of, you know, as a Queen fan, it, the intro doesn't really make sense on the single edit. It's weird. It's just like, well, yeah. where's, where's that bit? Where's the bit where he drops in there? Oh, fuck, fuck's sake. So, yeah, no, I'm not a fan of the radio edit either. All right. Uh, let's move on now to the eighth song on side, uh, eighth song on Abacab. Uh, our, uh, what, uh, one, two, three, fourth song on side B, only played six times live. This mm -hmm. is Mike Rutherford's contribution to the album. This little ditty called Like It or Not. cool baseline you know that's Great one thing you can say with this yeah. song is, is a lovely and a really really nice vocal too from phil amazing uh, on the line but i'm coming home the way he sings home oh like it's this little yeah. inflection he puts on home uh, he does it so great it, yeah i love this intro to this song and then once we get into about a minute in uh the song really kicks into gear
I almost thought that was lyrically Mike telling Tony, like, like it or not, I got a lot on my mind. There's a lot I could say. <laughs> Let me speak, damn it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a fairly um straight down the middle, unrequited love type of thing, right? But yeah, I do wonder whether this was a personal thing for Mike. I don't really know anything about his personal life, to be honest. I don't know whether he was happily married, whether he, you know, had any sort of periods of... I don't know anything about Mark Rutherford, to be honest with you. You know, yeah, and Phil Collins, obviously, point. we all know a lot about, but Mark Rutherford, I don't know, man. He's quite vanilla, I think. Yeah, I in didn't know he was married on, on, yeah, until I was watching the uh, Cameron or Shine documentary at the very beginning, where right before they're about to uh, head out on stage, he had to take a piss, and his <laughs> wife was like, where's Mike? We're about to go on stage. Like, oh, he's in the loo. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> So he is married, that much I know. But I also do know, I really like this song. Uh, I love okay. Mike's songs. I, I like Mike and the Mechanics. I, I think he's killing it on here. I think the vocal's great. I love that big splashy crash cymbal uh, that Phil's playing all, over the chorus there. Uh, yeah. I thought the band sounds great. Uh, there's a lot to like here so far. Okay. <laughs> you don't agree? Well, I mean, we'll get into that, but I I mean, <laughs> well, let's let's skip forward and we'll get through some of the, the right. stop points. Then we'll, we'll see what we think. Maybe you'll what sway you me. Next? Maybe I'll have to edit my, my score, you know. Come on, that is some fantastic fucking vocal work by Phil Collins here. It is, yeah, and it, 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 like you said too, it's it really is reminiscent of his solo stuff too. You know, like again, but seriously, you know, you think about um, I wish it would rain down, songs like that. That it's that same kind of very soulful pleading. He's putting everything into this. This is a song where he actually gives a shit about this vocal. You know, yep. with, I think I can't remember which song it was. It was either from I think it might have been the last album where I had written down like Phil just clearly does not care about these lyrics at all. This one, yeah, he's really putting all the all the passion that's necessary into this song. Who who hasn't been spurned by love uh, in their life, right? The, the, this is a song that resonates lyrically uh, with with everybody because everybody kind of goes through this. And you mentioned "I Wish It Would Rain Down." Well, that's a, only just one of my favorite all time Phil Collins songs. So if we're hearkening back to that song, that's <laughs> a okay in my books. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that melody section. That is so great. The, the soaring ahs in the background while Phil yeah. is killing a vocal. And, and even that little, uh, uh, it's almost like is, is you can't hurry love background singers, right? He's got the two Phil's behind him, really <laughs> a, a, accenting the chorus. Uh, I, I love that section. And you know what? I, I get your point on the guitars. I don't disagree. I also don't mind the keyboard so much. I don't mind them. I just think it would sound so much better with and almost any era Genesis too. Like if you played it, you know, Hackett style, then you could, again, this is another song that could be on Wind and Wuthering because it's a romantic song and it's got that same sort of mellow pace to some of the tracks, you know, the ballads on that album. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think with Mike's guitar, it would really, really make it pop. You're not wrong. Uh, I think it would be a lot better. Although 
uh, for as much grief as I, I as I give Tony, uh, I, I kind of like the keyboards on that section too. It would have been better with the guitar, though. Absolutely. Uh, do you have any more here on this one? Nothing for me. All right. Well, I'll kick this one off then. Sure. Uh, like it or not, uh, I liked it a lot, actually. Only played six times live, and that kind of surprised me because I thought this is a song that would translate pretty well live. Uh, I gave it an eight for music, a seven for lyrics, and a three and a half for production. So a pretty solid score. And actually, I think that's my... Is that my highest score on this uh, side? Eight, seven, and four was Dodo uh, Lurker. So yeah, pretty close. I, I put it on that level, which is already eliciting groans from Kevin <laughs> Brown. What did you rake this one? I mean, okay, to me, this is a it's a it's a middling album track. There's nothing wrong with it per se. My criticism of this song is that it just drags. It doesn't really get any place. Like like I said, I mean, it's up. I mean, it's held up really by the vocal, because Phil's vocal on this is absolutely fantastic. No question about that at all. But I think musically, it's just a bit ponderous. I don't love the production on this one. I think, again, it's another one that's just under five minutes, this one. And given that it's, you know, more of the same, more of the same, I think they could have cut this one down a bit. And I find the bottom end a bit muddy because you've got Mike playing... It, his bass sounds soft almost. It's too... Like, you can't really hear the strike on the notes. I don't know whether that would change it. Um, so sonically, it might be the worst song on the album. Or, sorry, not worst, but weakest song on the album, sonically. So I'm going, I went, yeah, six for music, five for lyrics, um, and 2.5 production. So again, it's it's unrequited love. Nothing wrong with the lyrics, really, but I, I just, they don't elicit any sort of emotion from me at all. The, I, don't, I don't really care about the protagonist in this one, where a good song sort of makes you really feel for the, the person's point of view. This one, I just think, stop fucking whinging. Just, just get over it already, you know? And then the music, again, it's just a bit repetitive for me. So I don't dislike this song. It's, it's a good album, a decent album track. But I think, you know, after we've summed up here, we are definitely going to talk about some of the stuff that didn't make this album. And there are songs that didn't make this album that are definitely stronger than this one, for me. So, Well, all I can tell you is that not all of us have perfect love lives, Mr. Brown, like yourself. So <laughs> uh, oh, a wise man once told me uh, it, it's okay to be wrong. And uh, th- th- that's you in this case. <laughs> we got one more track here on the record. Uh, speaking of record, it's another record. Let's check it out. You'd expect something really impressive uh, with that kind of uh, intro, wouldn't you? You would, and it, I mean, again, this this is an intro that gives you no clues whatsoever about where this song is going. You know, it's another gen- do, Genesis do this all the time, right? Where they've got sections that is just completely distinct, where they've got no seemingly no through line. There's no melodic through line. The instrumentation's different. You know, there's no drums in this section at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I, I think it's cool. Like I like the the sort of the very bassy low end kind of you know again i called i mean i called the last song ponderous i don't think this i don't think this is this is mood setting to me right okay just one quick one we'll listen to a little bit more of this but again if you that hi-hat when i first listened to this you know for this episode i was like have they is that a sample is that like a a, a synth I'm like, no, I don't think it is. I just think it's 
massively compressed and it's got some that that again that weird sort of very flat dry gated reverb on it which is an odd choice but it does work and I just thought it was the way he was actually playing the hat. Like, it was almost, like, slightly open. Then he was closing it halfway through to kind of get He's that. He's definitely st- doing that, too. But yeah. you don't get the, I don't know how to explain this to people who don't play drums. When you close hats, there's a there's a tick. Like, there's a, there's a spike in your frequency that you get that you don't get here. So, it's again, it's so it's, it's a strange, like, it's Genesis, man. They fuck around with, with effects and form and all, all the time, right? So, I'm, I'm fine with that. It sounds really cool. But it threw me a little bit. I'm like, that's weird that there's because there's definitely not electronic drums on the rest of it. So I kind of wonder why they chose it here. And then I'm like, no, hang on, I don't think that is actually. I think that's yeah. That's interesting. I I didn't pick up anything artificial on there. I thought maybe he just had the hat set up differently than I've ever seen because obviously he knows a fuck ton more about drums than I ever will. So I thought maybe he just did something funny with the hats, like like when Lars took the uh, snare chain off the snare for Saint Anger and made that album a hundred times better. I (laughs) thought maybe he was just doing something like that. Look, if we're comparing Phil Collins and Lars Ulrich, I'm fucking signing <laughs> off right now. <laughs> you can do this podcast with John Marriott. No, 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 no. Get off the bridge. It, it, it's okay. I'm not comparing Phil Collins to, to, to Lars Ulrich. <laughs> that fill on every, on the fourth but uh beat of every bar is so cool man like it's phil play, again it's this is not a uh, phil's not sitting in the pocket on this song he plays a lot of fucking notes on this song even though it's not a, it's not fast it's not sort of you know it's not an up-tempo song really at all there's a section in it where it gets a little bit busier but but he's playing a lot in it and i think it just sounds cool like again it's that you know tony banks talked about the fact that when phil found this sound you know he did it on intruder for peter gabriel he did it on In the Air Tonight, and he did it on Face Value, and he kind of came back to Genesis with it. Tony Banks said, well, this is great now because we've got this different sonic element that we can lean into, so we don't have to always rely on the synths to make the sound of Genesis, and it can change it and turn it in a different direction, which is possibly what the diehards didn't like. But to me, again, when you use it properly, when you when this song, when he's, he's doing da 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 those little fills on the four, man, it just adds so much to it. Does it add too much? It almost it almost clutters the song in a way, and it's very much the "Take Me Home" feel, isn't it? Like it's almost like the, the you know which he would reuse kind of a, see what you're saying. Take me yeah. home a little bit, little bit. It's it's reminiscent of anyway, but uh, to, to me it was maybe just a little too busy, and okay. it kind of led into my my only real big gripe with the song is that I'm not a big fan of the melody. Uh, okay, you know, there's there's really not a ton wrong with this track, other than for me, the melody does doesn't quite work. So I'm not okay. that huge a fan of it. Okay, Unless but I love what it. I love what Mike was doing uh, on the bass in that section. Oh, that that was some killer shit. You know, it's, it's you know we I've talked about this with my friend Randy Woods on the Queen podcast, and we we talked about it with Michael Anthony on and Van Halen as well. You know, a really great bass player doesn't always get talked about a lot because they're just doing their fucking job and doing it really, yeah. really well. So you don't notice them all the time, right? It's like a good referee in sports. A really good referee, you shouldn't really notice in the game, right? And a good bass player, the job mainly is just to hold that bottom end down. And we're talking about some of the greatest in rock. If you ask me, John Deacon, Michael Anthony, hell, throw Mike Rutherford in that conversation too. He does some really good stuff. 
I will too. And that's where you think, oh man, get someone to play a fucking harmonica there. It sounds <laughs> cool, but it would sound you so read my good with harmonica. <laughs> you read my mind. Really, nobody around your area could play a fucking harmonica. What's Huey Lewis doing? Call him up. He's a great harmonica player. Well, I mean, there's a thing that a lot more, you know, a lot of people don't know is that Huey Lewis played harmonica for Thin Lizzy on Live and Dangerous. That's right. Well, we know we'll do air quotes around live, obviously, but you know, yeah. a lot of people don't know that he joined the band for that tour and. Just and Huey Lewis, you know, one of the great vocalists of our times. Just you know, did a, did a little bit of backups, but he's just there to play harmonica. Super cool. Fun, fun fact: I'm considering Huey Lewis in the news for season two if I win. Ooh, that'd be all right by me. <laughs> that'd be good fun. Oh yeah, I'm considering Since I'm harmonica. Considering about, I put. I'm considering about sixty different artists at the moment, I and mean, I might <laughs> I might be able to get it down to about forty by the end. Of, you know, well, I tell you, it depends. If, if Kevin pisses me off, it, it could be, <laughs> it could be Nickelback. It, it could be Def Leppard. I'll do Def Leppard before I do Nickelback. I'll do fucking <laughs> Miley Cyrus before I do Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to put Miley Cyrus <laughs> on the list. It's like, hmm, John Bon Jovi. And, and not just Bon Jovi, just John Bon Jovi, his solo stuff. Hey, I could talk. I mean, I was into Bon Jovi in my youth, man. I could I could talk on John Bon Jovi's solo albums. Don't, don't worry about that. Santa Fe oh, from the Young and Sue soundtrack is a great yeah. song. It really is. I, actually, that's a really good album, uh, top to bottom. There's only a couple of stinkers too. on that one, so yeah. But well, we'll worry about that in season two. We're talking about another record. We talked about synth harmonica, which is literally the only thing I had <laughs> written down for this fucking song, was that I'm not a fan of the melody and synth harmonica. So if you have another timestamp, let's go to it. Let's go to 155, because this is where we get the big... What I've written down is this, this to me is, again, Genesis you know, showing their hand and saying, you know, we really fucking love the Beatles. Even though we're prog rock, we love the Beatles. Because this round and round, it, that's, it's just pure Lennon and McCartney. Oh, and then the fucking harmonica comes back. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that turnaround because you're expecting some sort of, you know, Genesis usually would throw something dramatic in there or there'd be a, a, a new four-bar sort of little short section, but they just go, they just blend straight back into that, you know, the, reg, the, the sort of the verse riff, which I think is unexpected and kind of cool. All right. I do like the lyrics because I'm an old man who likes putting a record on and watching it spin round and round. Ah, see him smile. That's me. I love putting a record on and just enjoying it. So. Well, it's a nice lament, right? It's like it's a cool lament on a, you know, it's a faded star. It's a faded rock and roller, an old rock and roller. That's a good line. Who yep. just loves music and wants to listen to a song. And who's, who's going to look out for this old rock and roller? And there's a million of them out there, right? There's a million of them out there. We, you know, the guy from Motley Crue, what's the, the fat kid from Motley Crue? What's his name? I can never remember. It's Vince Neil. Vince Neil. Yeah, he's just an old rock and roller. Just leave him alone. He's past yeah. it and he can't do it anymore. Just leave him alone. <laughs> so the question I have for you, Kevin, is is this a decent album closer? Because uh, uh, I, I don't think so. Really? Okay. I, <laughs> it's funny because I think it's certainly the only song on this record I could see being the closer. Um, I don't know what else you would you put in this spot because another record and the way it sort of fades out, 
put another record on? Well, you know, when you're the end of an album, what are you going to do? We'll take this one off yeah. and I'll put another record on. Funny, I put Dodo Liquor as the album closer. I, I want to end with the bang. Well, we're going to see. We're going to see, we're going to get into the sequence of this album because I've got I've got a lot of thoughts on that. Okay. <laughs> um, but what what were your scores for this one for another record? So yeah, it was played once live on the November 29th in 1981 at Nassau Coliseum. So yep. again, you know, and Mike Rutherford did the lyrics. It's one of those you think clearly there's a reason it was only played once. Either it was that the band just thought, no, I don't know, this isn't working. The crowds, we've lost the crowd. Or maybe it was just a song that they thought, yeah, this isn't, with the setup we have on stage, this just doesn't really work. So I, I don't know which one it would have been, but it's, I, I don't think it's a great live song to do, to be honest. No, me either. And I, I imagine uh, Tony Banks had his eight keyboards, but he didn't have one that had that synth harmonica that he needed for this song. <laughs> and he just didn't have room on his rack for a ninth. So maybe could, that's why. And they didn't know anybody in the, the whole of their, you know, the, their, their musical sphere of people that they knew and recorded with and were pals with that not a single harmonica player among them. They definitely weren't friends with Huey Lewis in the news. Uh, unreal. Uh, this is their 11th studio album. Uh, at this point in your career, you can't find one harmonica player. Like, <laughs> fuck off. But no, uh, this one, uh, musically, uh, I gave it a five. Uh, like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of the melody and the synth harmonica pissed me off. Uh, so I gave it a five, even though I really liked uh, Mike. And I do like that drum felt, even though it was a little busy. Uh, in the verse. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a six just because I'm an old man who likes a record. And uh, three for production, uh, pretty much uh, my standard. Nothing too objectionable in terms of anything wrong, but nothing that really elevates it either. And like I said, not a fan of uh, of the how the song was put together and not a fan of where it was sequenced. Like I said, okay. I would maybe put Dodo Lurker last and I would lead off side two with something like uh, like it or not, but that's kind of my thing. And who done it? I would just leave off the record. Uh, so I was a five, six, and three. What were your grades on another record? Six, six, and three point five. So we were really close okay. in this one. I have no beef with this song. It's you know, it's a it's a solid little album track. I think that little Beatlesy section is that's the song for me. That's the, that's the bit where I go ah yes, I like that bit. That's what I'm waiting for. Is it a little long again? Because this is what again, it's all it's four four thirty nine four thirty nine. It's a bit long, maybe. Because again, it doesn't. Once it's done, and we put another record on, you could probably fade a little bit. I think Phil's drums sound fantastic. You know those pseudo harmonica synth things. Definitely just bringing a new, bringing a harmonica player. Um, lyrics are pretty. You know, last verse same as the first, which is an old songwriting trick. We just repeat. That's okay. Again, those fills at the end of at the end of every four bars in the verse. I just think that's cool. I like it. I like a bit. I like a bit of drums. So yeah, six six and three point five. All right. So, so what are your final grades on uh, side B of Abacab? So overall, you know, again, we had this with Snowbound on Wind and Wither, or on, uh, and then there were three, but there's one song that really drags the scores down, you know, and it really is a shame because I think it suffers for it, but music 6.5, lyrics 5.5, production 3.5 for a total of 15.5 was my okay. overall for side B. I was very close. I was actually music 5.5, lyrics 6, uh, production 3. Uh, for side B. So my grand total for Abacabin total uh, was 32 and a half out of 50. Okay, I think mine is, okay, so I looked, uh, mine's 36 overall. 36, I had music okay. 15, lyrics 13, production 8. Unless my math is off, I think that's 36. And again, I'm like a lot higher, and like Dodo Lurker again is, to me, is the sort of, that's just, if I'm going to sort of tell someone about Genesis and say, this is what you need to listen to, that's going to be on there, right? So. There just wasn't enough Dodo Lurkers on this record for me. No. Like you said, uh, Who Done It drags it way down. I also wasn't a fan of uh, Keep It Dark or, or Me and Sarah Jane. Uh, so actually, I was 
kind of surprised by this result, Kevin. Abacab is our second lowest rated album uh, so far. Uh, second only two, and then there were three, which we had at 65.5%. Abacab is 68.5%. So it didn't even quite crack the 70th percentile, which is where uh, you know our current leader, uh, which is uh, Duke, 74.5. And then we go a Trick of the Tail, 73.5. And Wind and Withering, 72. So the fact that this was below Wind and Withering uh, kind of surprised me. Really surprises me too. Um, I think basically you've let the side down here because you've rated everything, a lot of these songs way too low, Corey. Um, oh, so it's know, my I'm, fault. I'm blaming you for this one. So, you know. I'm changing my score to Who Done It to uh, eight. <laughs> eight no. You gave a zero on on Who Done It and it's my fault? Well, I mean, what? I can't just, how can you even give one to those lyrics? It's <laughs> just absolutely a dreadful. Now, okay. Hey, well, I didn't do it. Let, let's talk. <laughs> Oh, well, we know who did it. We know, we know, we know it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because I, I don't know if you listened to um, any of the tracks that didn't make the album. Uh, so Just Genesis, Paperly. Okay, so Genesis releases 3x3 or 3x3, 3 times 3 whatever you want to call it, which was the second EP that they released. And it was Paperly and You Might Recall on side one and me and Virgil. Now, You Might Recall, yeah, it's fairly average. It's not a great track. Paperly, it's a fucking banger. Mm-hmm. And they released this off the EP, and it goes to, I think it ended up hitting number two on the U.S. mainstream rock charts. So on the Billboard, it hit like it went to 32 or something, but it hit number two on the U.S. mainstream rock charts, and you've left that off the album. So, you know, in favor of who done it, and again, to me, um, uh, like it or not. You know, so I think that Paper is better than those two. And then Me and Virgil is actually quite a cool song, too. Then you get the two songs that weren't... I don't know whether they were sort of finished-finished, but Nami Nanu and um, Submarine, the two sort of bookends for the Dodo Suite, you know, I, again, I'd pick that any, either of those over who'd done it. So I'm going to throw my uh, sequence in at you and see what you think of this. Okay. So my side A, I went with Abacab to start. You've got to start. I mean, you've got to start with Abacab, right? 100%. Oh, yeah. Then I go with Nami Nanu. I go with that instrumental because I think that when Abacab finishes on that instrumental fade out, I think that works to fade in with this this weird sort of Nami Nanu thing song. Dodo Lurker and then finish with Keep It Dark. I'm not putting Submarine on because I don't think you really need it. And then I'm always cognizant to when I'm doing this, when I'm sequencing things, I think, well, it's the vinyl era, so you got to keep it to that sort of 22, 23 minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. So I go four songs on side A. And side B for me then becomes No Reply at All, Paper Late, because now you've got those two kind of go together, right? They dovetail really quite nicely. Then f- freak it out with me and Sarah Jane. Go man in the corner, close with another record. So I'm taking off, like it or not, and who done it, and I'm putting on Nami Nanu and uh, Paperlet. What do you think of that okay, one? I don't know uh, Nami Nanu, so I can't yeah. really comment on that. I'm all in favor of putting Paperlet on instead of who done it, though. And I like your sequencing, too. Uh, although I'd still, uh, Dota Lurker, I think, would make a great album closer. True, yeah. Uh, and may- maybe a kickoff side, too, with no reply at all. Uh, you know, with the horns and everything, it might be a good kickoff there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you got to kick off with Abacap and um, uh, Paper Late. Uh, what did you have? Uh, yeah, it was no reply at all into Paper Late, right? Is yeah. what you had? Yeah. I love that. I, I thought that that was a genius idea there. But if we, even if we just put Paper Late on instead of Who Done It, that's going to increase the scores, I bet you, by at least five. And that's going to put it above uh, Wind and Withering and right up with Trick of the Tail. So even just one song, I think, would make a huge difference uh, yeah. in our little. Uh, ultimate catalog clash here so one thing we could think about Corey, is maybe we can put a little bonus episode bonus episode out for the folks and we could cover 
Spot the Pigeon and Three by Three. Absolutely. Just do yeah, one episode on each and or do one yeah. episode for all of them and you know talk about those songs that didn't make the albums. Fantastic. Cause yeah, because uh, I've never heard the other two, uh, but I, I know Paper Lake because it was on uh, the Turn It On Tour edition, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, like, what the fuck? I've never heard this song before. Where did this come from? Yeah. It was a great, great it's, tune. So yeah. Well, I mean, Paper Lake's better than, you know, I mean, it's, to me, like, like I said, Paper Lake and No Reply at All are cut from, you know, very similar cloth. I think yeah. Paper Lake's better than No Reply at All. I think it's catcher, that hook sticks in your head. Like, I don't know, just I, I well, maybe I just prefer it. I just prefer it, Corey. That's all. It's no, my, it's you my know personal what? I, taste. I think I agree with you. I think I would put Paper Lake above No Reply at all as well. Well, we, we are agreed. And that's rare. <laughs> you realize, uh, Kevin, as we record this, our first like proper episode drops uh, tomorrow morning uh, as we're recording does. this. And so I'm going to start getting all the hate mail from Genesis fans pretty soon. <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of dreading it. Send all all complaints uh, to Kevin Brown uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Come speak to me. I will I will disabuse you of your uh, your incorrect ideas. Me and Corey are, you know, I wouldn't say we're experts, but we're we're pretty fucking clever. We're pretty knowledgeable. So, you know, if you've got a problem with this, it's probably a you thing, not an us thing, you know? You, you know what it is, Kevin, is that I know what I like, and I also like <laughs> what I know. But is what you like, is it in your wardrobe? That's the question. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> I'm a fat man. I have nothing in my wardrobe that I enjoy because it all makes me look like a fat man. Oh, dear me. Yeah, it's just true sort of when you get to a certain age and you go through your wardrobe, you think, nope, can't wear that. Nope, can't wear that. Definitely can't wear that. I should probably yeah. just give that away. You know, my my whole wardrobe is rock t-shirts and uh, football jerseys because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I got, and and golf shirts for work. That's about it. Your your football people did quite well on the they uh, did. weekend there. You know, it was a terrible game to be there and watch, but it was fun. The crowd was into it and uh, had a two-foot hot dog. All was good. Oh, you went to that one? You went to the game? Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah, because uh, when you, uh, if you uh, bought tickets for that football game, you got into the fair for free. It was Regina's annual uh, Queen City ah. exhibition. And uh, Finger Eleven was playing, so I got to catch a little bit of them in the park before the game. And then, uh, yeah, we watched the Saskatchewan Rough Riders beat the Ottawa Red Blacks. And then uh, went back to the fair, rode some rides, ate some shit, and uh, had a good time. Well, I mean, two things. First of all, the Red Blacks is definitely the worst and laziest yep. name in all of pro sports. Thank what should we call yes. the team? What do we wear? Red and black. We'll call them the Red Blacks. Fuck it. Let's go to lunch. Fuck it. I don't want to. And, and you know what they wore? Yeah, they, they were wearing white and red uh, on, on the weekend because that, that's their away uniforms. So they're the Ottawa White Reds, and it was morons, terrible. absolute yep. morons. And then the other thing, what did you say? Finger Finger Eleven was that? What was yep. the? Is that that's a band? Yeah, it's I, a Canadian assume... alternative band. Finger Eleven refers to the the penis. Then is that what they're? Is that what it means? You know, I don't even know. I'm not a huge fan of theirs. I know my daughter kept calling them Eleven Fingers. Hey, we got to get to the park so we can watch a little bit of Eleven Fingers. But they're very oh, popular awesome. around these parts. They have a couple of good songs. I don't oh. mind Finger Eleven, but it's very much in the Our Lady Peace uh, kind of oh, okay. old vibe of the '90s, right? So, yeah. So those guys, Our Lady Peace, at the X one year. Oh yeah, and not great live. No, I oh, saw. Well, actually, just... I saw them open for Guns N' Roses, and they were okay. I think it might have been the. I mean, because the X. I mean, Saskatoon X. It's not made for that venue. Is it's not a music venue. When you're outdoors, it's always hard anyway. But but it it was pretty bad. Your X is coming up, isn't it? I think so. I think it's yeah. You're getting soon, uh, yeah. you're getting Collective Soul this year. So there were. Oh yeah, out. that's right too. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine just um, won tickets to not only go to see the show but to meet and greet with the band afterwards. So. Oh fuck. So. I, I hate Saskatoon. You guys are getting collective, so you got Steve I coming up pretty soon. Like all sorts of cool shit coming up. Just move. 
Come on, dude. You know, this is where it's I at. Know. I know. <laughs> I'm kind of stuck here, though. How many albums have Collective Soul got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Fucking hell, 11. Wow. All right. And, uh, uh, you know, everything past the uh, debut album, pretty good. You start Dosage. with, like, their self-titled and go through. Good yeah, album. Dos- Dosage is a fucking great album, man. I really it like really that, is. that album. Uh, self-titled is a great album. Uh, even uh, Blood, uh, I thought was a great album. It was one of their newer ones. And then they Blood just tips. released one called Vibrating, which is growing on me. So I don't think I've listened to anything after Blender. I think that might be the last album that I actually listened to with any sort of any regularity so not have good maybe i'll go back and check them out yeah some good stuff in there well you know what folks you should come back and check us out too um next week we're going to start looking at side one of genesis's 1983 yes. eponymous yes. record this is one this is the one that corey's been waiting for folks um come check us out on social media we do have social media at ultimate catalog clash on facebook and you catalog clash on twitter threads is coming soon uh, check out my other shows the tom petty project and seaside pod review and if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Kebron Canada. Corey, where can the people find you and the many things that you do online? Oh, I host a few podcasts, including and the podcast will rock. We're breaking down the entire Van Halen catalog. Uh, only got 30 some shows left on that one. So uh, uh, check in if uh, you're a Van Halen fan. I also do uh, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited with Scott Haskin. Uh, we're doing the same thing with the band Aerosmith. And then I do a show called Backtracks Theme Music uh, with John Mariano, where we're talking about our favorite songs from our favorite movies. And uh, Kevin mentioned at the top of the show, our last episode was uh, from the movie The Hangover. We did the song In the Air Tonight. And even if you don't like the movie, it was pretty funny to see uh, Iron Mike Tyson uh, air drum uh, to to the big uh, drum fill in in the air tonight and sing along horribly off key. It was kind of funny. Uh, And if you want to complain about uh, my thoughts on Genesis, please tweet me at Kev Brown Canada and let me know how much I suck. Yeah, there we go. We've covered what is the fifth. We've got three more. Got three more albums and a yeah. couple of EPs that we were probably going to do bonus episodes, but we're not going to throw those into contention though, because they're not albums, Corey. They're EPs. They're different. That's right. All right, folks. Um, take care of yourselves, and we'll uh, see you next week. <laughs>